With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. I'm George Cooper, in for Sammy James, who's out gallivanting, but I'm joined by the usual Thursday Club panel of the one and only Mr. Jack Collins. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Very, very well. I'm right. Yeah, I can imagine you've been uh, fairly busy these last few days gearing up to the World Cup. Yeah, it's not been quiet. Let's put it that way. It's not been quiet, but we're getting there and I'm, I'm excited about uh, the coverage you're doing. So I'm doing some bits with ranks, obviously, and doing some stuff with Peter for the Athletics. So all, all is very, very exciting. Excellent. And I'm also joined by Peter Ratzler from The Athletic. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, George. I'm intrigued by the image of Sammy just off gallivanting. Uh, what does that mean? Like through the fields or something? Yeah, yeah. through the fields of wheat. <laughs> <laughs> Theresa May style. Uh, he's actually on the way to Abu Dhabi to cover the Grand Prix at the moment. Lucky, oh, lucky, lucky boy. He's obviously uh, knowing Sammy gutted not to be uh, not to be doing his uh, beloved Fulhamish. But yeah, no, he's um, he's here in spirit, shall we say? But Indeed. yeah, it's been um, since we last spoke. Obviously, the Manchester United game. Um, I want to let you lads have your quick take on that. Jack, you tweeted immediately afterwards that you felt as if you'd been punched in the stomach. Yeah, it, it really did feel like that. And it's the first time I think I felt like that for uh, like a while. With the City game, obviously, it was it was gutting. But in you know, we, we didn't really deserve... I don't think we deserved much out of the City game. We didn't go at them and, and make things work. We didn't push and and try and make the extra man count and yes that's much harder without Alexander Mitrovic there are mitigating circumstances but it didn't feel like I was like oh we've been robbed here that, that's not how I felt at City but with the United game I was like we have not necessarily been the better team for the whole game because I think there were opportunities for United as well as us but I think we were good value for at least a point and if we'd edged all three I don't think many would have been complaining right and and then to lose it like that in the last couple of minutes with a questionable kind of moment with the ball maybe going out of play obviously there's been no kind of real definitive camera angles of whether it did or not and kind of like waiting for the VAR check that never came and it it all just felt like one of those I, I walked out of the ground with my dad and my brother and they went off and I just, I was like, I'm just going to walk to the pub by myself. I was like, I just, I need some time. I felt really, really gutted. And everything about the way that that panned out and with it being the last game, for obviously before an extended break, just left a real bitter taste in my mouth and and all of, all of it and all of the above. And yeah, it, it really hurt that one. Really, really hurt. Obviously, it's never nice when Fulham don't win. But with a Newcastle game, you look at it and going, okay, you know, the red cards killed us. We're struggling. When you go to the Spurs game, there were those kind of glimmers of hope at the end and it felt like we ended on a positive. With the Arsenal game, we were, I think, the second best side. This one didn't feel like any of those. It it just was one of those games you were like, that's a real killer, unfair blow. And I really struggled to come to terms with it. 
Yeah, obviously compounded by the fact that we lost in a similar manner to Man City, as you uh, as you pointed out a week previous. But I guess it just shows if you take the results in isolation, it just shows how far that we've come as a football club that we can go toe to toe with these you know behemoths of the of world football and come away with a sense of you know injustice. Uh, Peter, a lot of people said that it was a bit of a turning point in the game when Onuma was brought on, and they argued that maybe we should have brought Duffy on and sort of try to see out a valuable point. Do you think that the decision of Marco to bring Onuma on and push for three was uh, was justified or do you think ultimately it's what cost us a point? I think that sort of reaction towards Onuma stems from the sort of emotional feeling at the, at the end of the game. And I, I, I think I've like for me, when I was reflecting on it, I was looking back at what I was like, tweeting at the time, I think I went straight to perspective mode um, in a way that probably a neutral would do as opposed to there was a real. There really was an emotional reaction to how that game ended, and probably in a different way to the City one. Yeah, City was a bit more painful, but I suppose the nature of the United game, the way Fulham played, particularly in the second half, certainly the better team. And if a team were going to win it, it would look like it was going to be Fulham. And that goal for United, you know, those chances that they had in the first half had had really sort of petered out uh, after half time, you know. And the fact that United scored in the way they did, and it was sort of against the run of play a little bit. Um, it really, really hit people, really sort of, it really was a, a sucker punch, you know, as, as Jack was saying. So, and then straight away you're looking for, why has this happened? What's the reason? Um, I mean, I, I, there was a, that reaction to Josh Onomer. And I think when you look back, I mean, he's pressing high, but I I'm, I don't know this. It's, not, it's hard to be sure, but he's, he's pressing high, probably too high out of position. But I mean, to actually pin it on him felt a bit weird it's and off. out of place. Yeah. Like, um, the, the change, sure, Tom Kenny was doing well. He's not played 90 minutes this season. Silver's looking to buy a little bit of time. And, and also just about chasing for the win. Like, that's just the way Silver's team has played for the past 15 months, haven't they? I mean, they want to win games. I think he sort of alluded to that afterwards. And I think you could see that maybe he thought, oh, maybe he shouldn't have pushed so much. But I, it wasn't a game where I think the manager thought, do you know what, we should shut up shop because Fulham were the better team. They were in control. Um, and the change was meant to be a like for like to try and see it, try and keep that that same tempo. Um and the goal, the goal's a brilliant, brilliant work from Garnacho. It's a great one too. Um the game's a little bit stretched, but that's because Fulham were looking for the winner. And I suppose that's why they've been so entertaining. That's why we've enjoyed these games is because Fulham are looking to compete. They're looking to one up teams. They're not shutting up shop. I'm sure we've seen that. But when they've been winning, that's when Marco Silva shuts up shop. He goes to win games. That's that's the difference. I think um, there's a word on that to be said for, I remember at the end of the Brentford game, right? At 2 all, we were really under the cosh. And I remember being like, get out of this with a point. And Fulham made the switch and went for it and won the game. And that's the, the kind of flip side of this, right? That's, that's how it's panned out in a positive light. But this, and, and you know, when you take risks, that's what's going to happen. Yes, sometimes you get rewards and sometimes you get punished. That's, that's the kind of nature of the beast. I hate to say it because he was man of the match by such a distance. But I think Polina covers the wrong man. I think he goes to goes out wide to track Bruno, who's already vaguely covered, and leaves Ericsson in the middle alone. And that's the the op- the opening that comes through. Now that's not to lay the blame at him because he was ins- insatiable. Is probably the only word I could use to describe such a performance. But I think if you're going to look at anywhere for the like immediate individual moments after the goal, I think he tracks the wrong man. It's it's one of those as well. I think the the idea about seeing out games and because it was the two games in a row, City and United, and there was this oh, you need to see out games better. And 
And for me, I thought, well, that's kind of one of the things I've been press, impressed with about Fulham this year. You know, when you think of the Brighton game, the Brentford game, as Jack said, Nottingham Forest, Leeds, narrow margins that Fulham have seen out and, and saw those games out really, really well. Um, you know, you, you're going to get moments like this. I mean, the difference between the two teams on Sunday was quality in the final third, I thought. You know, United didn't play particularly well, but they created some really good opportunities in the first half. And that was down to the players that they have in part. You know, Fulham are an open team. They want to create space and they'll leave gaps and United are of the calibre that can exploit them. And, you know, you look at City last week, it was a soft penalty. So uh, I didn't really see that point of view, but um, I, th- I thought overall it was a really good performance. So encouraging that all the best things we've seen about Fulham this season that have taken them to, to ninth in the table, which is just ridiculous, to be honest. It's one of those losses that despite the results, you feel like the team can glean a hell of a lot of confidence for. You know, it wasn't like a sort of morale crushing defeat. And I mean, well, Jack, you're grimacing there. Do you do you disagree? I think it felt like it took the air out of everyone a bit, but I do wonder if then the break here helps that just settle again and you go, right, we can look back at it. And obviously we will do on the podcast, but you can look back a little bit more, you know, as a whole, mm. you can look back at the, at the season in a bit more kind of, uh, of a cohesive light and, and be like, look, we're, we're doing well, we're doing the right things. But I, I think if that's the, if there was a game straight afterwards, that's the kind of thing that could actually knock the wind out your sails a little bit in in that it was so brutal to lose in that manner. You touched upon Wal Palinia's performance. It was just phenomenal. Another player that I thought looked very much up for it start to finish was our ex-Manchester United man, Andres Pereira. I thought he <laughs> really came out all guns blazing. And Peter, you recently wrote an article about his impact that he's had at Fulham so far. What can you say about our Brazilian? Yeah, I thought he had the bit between his teeth uh, on Sunday. Maybe there's that element of point to prove, I guess, against United, but he was excellent. You know, it wasn't I think when we look back to the summer and, you know, he was at Flamengo and wanted to stay, you know, wanted to continue that journey with them and it didn't work out because they couldn't make that transfer permanent. Um, he's come to Fulham, you know, after being persuaded, you know, by, by Silver and the project. Um, little question marks about him. I don't think, any, I, I think everyone assumed he'd be a good signing, but there was a lot of uncertainty, one, about his position, um, whether he'd be able to fill that Fabio Carvalho role at Fulham, at least from a Fulham perspective, because... You know, obviously Fabio Cavalli was a young player, but he had such a big impact last year and it seemed very, very specific, the kind of role he played. He was a goal-scoring 10. Pereira's never really been that. And I don't think he is that, but he's brought something different while filling in for the things that Fabio Cavalli did really well. Um, his off-ball work great, his creativity, linking up with Mitrovic, helping to bring the best out of him. Um, and I think in, the re- in recent games, we've started to see more goals and assists from him as well. I think in those early games, we could see he was quietly performing well without necessarily those sort of headline-making, goal involvement, return kind, kind of things. I think it was one, one assist from his first eight games. Um, and then more recently, you know, in his last six, uh, sorry, yeah, in his last six games, I think, or seven games, he's got, he's got five or six goal involvements and decisive ones as well. And I think that's, that's show, a sign really of how he's progressing I really think he's adapted to that position as the the eight slash ten, the one who gets closest to Mitrovic, who plays as a two out of possession up top for pressing, is a, a really really well. Um, on Sunday, it was a different role. You know, that's what was quite intriguing. He was playing slightly to the right with Tom Kearney, that bit deeper on the left hand side, and you know, Fulham was still excellent on that left wing, weren't they? I mean, Willian has just been extraordinary in terms of the way he's come in and, and made an impact in every game. 
Um, but again, he was he was really lively, worked very well on that side, and um, and was a threat. You know, and we're seeing his quality, his, his Premier League quality, and he he looks like a really really good addition. Yeah, as you said, fully bought into the Marcus Silva vision, adapting to the role. And it's paying dividends because he's one of the uh, top scoring midfielders on the uh, on fancy Premier League, and you can always spot the uh, the Fulham fans who are the early adopters of uh, of getting Andres Pereira very cheap. But yeah, he's superb and one of the signings of the summer. I don't think anyone could argue. Let's take this opportunity just before we enter a World Cup. We're at the halfway point of the season. If somebody had offered you Fulham ninth at this point, you'd have bitten their hand off at the po- at the at, surely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, Fulham have uh, have been really, really impressive. And I think what's what's really nice is that we haven't really lost to anyone around us, right? Anyone that we look at being in the in the mix at the, the bottom end of the table, maybe West Ham aside, who I think have been really poor of late. You know, the, the games that Fulham have lost have been Man United, Manchester City, Newcastle, Tottenham, Arsenal. These are you know, not the games, and I've said this all the way through, that keep you up. The games that keep you up are the games that you're playing against teams around you. And and against the bottom 11, 12, if you will, Fulham have been really good. And and that's, I think, something that we can take into the second half of the season and, and, and kick on with. Now, you know, ultimately, when we're looking at this season, I think we all know that it's all a bit of a madness down at the bottom and that there's sort of, I think, 11, 12 teams who are relatively similar in standard. Um, and I think when you look at the kind of tables adjusted for for statistics, etc., you, you can see that in, in quite a lot of depth, that pretty much everyone outside the big guns and Brighton, um, and I'd include Newcastle in the big guns now, obviously, are are of a relatively similar quality and have put in relatively similar levels of performances. Obviously, there's been peaks and troughs in that. Like, you know, Wolves have been terrible. Leicester had that awful kind of run and, and have now improved. But I do think there's kind of an element of this of it kind of could be anybody at the bottom of the table come the end of the season. And so to find ourselves vaguely at the top of that pile, right, with with this part of the season done... Yes, would you ideally like a few more points on the board? Could we have, you know, taken all three against Everton? Probably. Could we have taken all three against Bournemouth? Probably. Could we have got a point at least out of City and or Manchester United? Maybe. But when we're we're looking at these games kind of as 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 a cohesive whole, I think that we couldn't have asked for much more from Fulham. It's just a question of being able to kick on with that now in the second half of the season, making sure we don't rest on our laurels because whilst we're ninth you know it's not all that mad a drop down into the into the mess and into the mire so I think Fulham need to come back and and kick on again and I think that there's every possibility that we make that happen and I've been very very impressed with with kind of everything as a whole yes we should maybe keep an eye on some of the lessons needing to be learned from the last two weeks Um, but I don't want that to mar what has been an exceptional start to this season. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about the positives of which there have been many, but I just wanted to ask you, Jack, what are some of the maybe concerns about Fulham looking into the second half of the season, you know, with the World Cup being where it is, maybe perhaps a little bit of um, lacking strength and depth. What, what would be your main, what could you possibly anticipate could, 
you know, maybe mean that we have a less positive second half of the season? And how how do we mitigate? How would you suggest we mitigate that? Well, I think the last two games or the last couple of games have shown how important Alexander Mitrovic is to this side. Um, and when he's not there, we look a little bit blunt up top. And look, I, I think I didn't go in for the full criticism of Carlos Vinicius at the weekend. I think that it's incredibly hard to jump in and be expected to be the main man when you've come in kind of as a, you're going to be second fiddle. Um, and you're not getting that consistent run of games. Yes, he's not as technically good as Alexander Vitrovic. Yes, he's not great at linking play, but he works incredibly hard and he's putting himself about. And if the technical quality is a drop-off, that's kind of what you expect from a person playing second fiddle, you know, especially at, at this level. You know, players don't really want to come in and be the the sub, right? Players of real quality don't want to jump in and be like, yeah, no worries. I'll just wait for my opportunity. And so I, I think there's an element that we have to be patient with that. But I think there are still key blocks in this side, Mitrovic being one of them, Pereira being one of them. I think we managed without Reed at the weekend, but I think Harrison Reed is is one of them. And Polina, obviously a key one. If, if Polina goes down or gets an injury that puts him out for a couple of weeks, how do Fulham set up there to to deal with that problem that that I think could be the biggest issue that Fulham would face and injuries to Mitrovic or Polina are going to take their toll on this side and our ability to make things happen so I think we need strength and depth and cover in midfield in January and from that point I think we kind of look at this and go can this side see out the season if that's achieved I think the answer is yes Peter, you have a slightly less uh, biased look at this <laughs> compared to Jack and I. Uh, what would your predictions be for the second half of the season with Fulham, the way things have, uh, from what you've seen this first half? I think, I think Jack's covered it quite well. I, for me, it's there's no doubt that a, a bad run of form can change the picture very quickly. Um, so the, it's certainly not a case that, that Fulham are necessarily safe yet, but what you have to take is... The, the evidence in front of you and what, what we've seen from pretty much all of Fulham's games this year and, and where they're strong and where they're not. And I think overall, if you if Fulham can carry that, carry that through, carry the main core parts of what we've seen that have been good, um, their ambition in games, their their front foot pressing, um, their threat from set plays, which has made a massive difference this season, um, then Fulham should be fine. I mean that's that's what that's what it says. But as Jack says, if you take out those key key blocks in the team, um, then it's a different question, and there's there's more doubt there. I mean, Fulham have done okay without Mitrovic these last two games against City and United. <laughs> Still almost taking points from both. Um, but I, I agree on Palinho. I think his impact has been transformative, and I think those those crux additions have, have really made an impact. I was impressed with, with Issa Diop as well, who looks like he's slowly building up some confidence, slowly building up some rhythm. Um, you know, I, I think there's a makings of a really good player there. And I think just on the right trajectory, we'll, we'll see more of that. Um, but I think going forward, yeah, I mean, Fulham in a good place. And that, that's all you could you could want from from this stage in, in, in the season. Um, January will be important. I think midfield is something that, Fulham will want to just mitigate those risks, mitigate the risk of of losing Palinia, of losing Reed. Um, you know, Chalaba wasn't involved at all um, on Sunday. You would assume that he would be the most defensively minded player uh, in midfield. He could have come in for, for for Reed. He didn't. Didn't come off the bench either. So, I think that's that's clearly a position to to look to strengthen. 
Um, but aside from that, you, you just take the the nature to see. I mean, it is really tight, and this was not a year for Fulham to get cut adrift. You know, the last two times in the Premier League, it's been cut adrift from the start. You're playing catch up. The mood's negative. There's pressure on every game. It's different. It's different now, and I think there's a confidence not only in terms of where Fulham are at, but also in the fact that if they play at a good level, they can take points off anybody. And to know that, to have that in your armory, is is, is a really positive thing. And um, that that that's why for me, it's it's a, I mean, it's an incredible situation, really. I mean, when we were quite downbeat coming into the season before the Liverpool game, what with the the way the summer had gone, the fact that Silva was wanting more signings, and and there was been a delay in, in who we've been able to work with, and. To, to be where Fulham are at now is is, is pretty important and it's, it's pretty pretty impressive and um, that that's 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 for me where I, I mean what's been interesting is the way they've sort of built on last year you know that it's quite clear that that foundation last season has been so important not just in terms of personnel stepping up individually you know we, we, we talked about the back four was the same last year as it was this year at the start of the season and all of them stepped up really well but also on a on a stylistic front. You know, they've, they've adapted, they've been pragmatic. We've seen Fulham be smart in games, they go direct, much more direct. I think they're the most direct team in the league, actually, in terms of moving the ball from, from back to front when you look at the statistics. But there's also been those key parts of what we saw last year. Set plays, as I said earlier, but also the ability to dominate the ball, to take control, to have the confidence to do it. Um, and if, if Fulham stays smart, and they have been smart in terms of the players they brought in, I mean, who'd have thought Willian would have the impact he'd have um, Pereira obviously Palina extraordinary to get him at that price and the way they did I mean he, he signed really when you know first signing of the summer with a newly promoted team and Fulham were the only one to put an offer on the tape I just um, honestly it's, it blows your mind at this point doesn't it <laughs> um, to have a player like that um, and it's you know it's yeah, and then if they can continue to do that to address the, the holes we talked about, then you know Fulham will be okay. And the one, the one, the one good thing is that when you're in ninth with this kind of break, which make, which changes the makeup of the January transfer window, you know it's not going to be the same emergency dash where what's going to happen with our squads, what injuries going to change things. There's a whole six week period here to have conversations to really hone in on this, and when you're able to market yourself as ninth in the Premier League having played the football that Fulham have, it does change the way the club are perceived, the way the work you're able to do. So they're in a good position. That's, 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 they're in a very good position. <laughs> it's just incredible, isn't it? And I, I must confess that I very much doubted that Fulham had the capability to get themselves back into this position where we're going into pretty much any, every Premier League game thinking, oh, we can get something out of it. It's just the the change around since last time has been f- nothing short of phenomenal. And although we are obviously incredibly uh, sad not to have a Fulham game for the next uh, few weeks, we are going into a Winter World Cup. Jack, just quickly on the World Cup as a whole, like, are you... Are you as excited? Obviously, there's it's a bit of a weird one. What with it being in winter and what with it being in Qatar, with obviously the human rights um, issues that are, that are very well publicised. But generally, what's your feeling going into this World Cup? I, th- I was listening to Ian Wright on Wrighty's House yesterday, and he described it as being like something that you can touch, but it's wrapped in cellophane. And I think a lot of people have had that now for various reasons. I think one of them is obviously about what what's happened in Qatar and and the atrocities that have, have happened and the major issues that are still rearing their head as as we build up to this World Cup. 
But I think another is that it's just been so close to the club season that it's kind of crept up on us. There's been no kind of two week build up period where it feels like it. And suddenly it's like, whoa, it's here. So, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to be working, covering it. And as soon as the football begins, I'm sure that people will will kind of get into it a little bit more. But I do think it's it's been a really strange build up to a World Cup and and obviously unlike no other in, in, in such a variety of ways. Look, there's lots going on, and I think once once we get there, and, and people can use this platform as as a platform to 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 have their voices heard for for good good matters and make things work in a positive way. That's that's all going to be good. But I, I still think there's going to be an element of this that will go down at the end of it and be like, okay, that's that's kind of done. Um, I'm looking forward to working it. I'm looking forward to watching the games and and, and trying to get through them tactically and understanding them. Um. But yeah, I think there's a fair amount of apathy, and I think people are trying to work through that this week, which is which is good. Um, obviously, we're going to be able to build build through that, and as soon as people will be able to watch, I'm I'm, I'm excited to watch football from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. Right, yeah, that's, that, the one. that's where I'm at, um, and, and I love that, and I love being able to talk about it every day, and doing shows literally every match day, which is which is wicked, and being able to talk about the games. So yeah, but I have no. Let's put it this way. I have no desire to be there. I'm glad I'm covering this from home. And 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 that's probably a, the best way I can way I can put it. Like I'm excited to watch the football, but I'm glad that I'm not going to be part of the the whole Yeah, I'm glad I'm not on the ground. I'm glad I'm not on the ground. Fulham have a number of players going, including well, Polinia for Portugal, our Welsh wingers, Harry Wilson and Dan James, Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson for the US, and of course, Alexander Mitrovic, who is harbouring an injury. He's not fully fit. Obviously, he didn't feature for us against Manchester United. There's been a fair bit of chat about his inclusion. Peter, do you think he's fit enough to be featuring for Serbia? What's the, uh, what's, what's the story that you've heard? Yeah, it's been interesting, hasn't it? Obviously, the fact that Mitrovic wasn't involved on Sunday and then the, the concerns about him playing in, in the tournament. And I, look, he's, he's clearly fit enough to be there. Um, he would go there regardless. I think we got that sense from Dragan Stojkovic in his press conference this week. I think he'd go with a broken leg probably, wouldn't he? Well, that's, yeah, it's literally what he said. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's obviously from a fun perspective you don't want a player to injure themselves that player will want to go like he, there's no doubt about it like if he's a chance of playing we'll go look at Sadio Mane at the moment I mean he's practically ruled out for the tournament and he's there he's going to miss the entire group stage and whether he features at all who knows but this is this is the the, the pinnacle really of a player's career um, which makes the backdrop as Jack was talking about very difficult and I do feel for the players in some circumstances that they have to to, to wrestle with this issue like the rest of us do but you know, I think in, in terms of Mitrovic, you know, we, we know he's had this this foot injury. Marco Silva said it was a, a bone issue. Uh, he denied those re- reports about it being two fractures in his foot. Um, he said that there will be discussions at the start of this week between the Fulham and Serbian medical staff. Um, those discussions seem to have been quite quick because Mitrovic was there on, on Monday, arrived, was assessed. Um, his current training is sort of individual training, sort of recovery training and on the Serbian side, they expect him to be back in full training and available for the for the Brazil game. So that's encouraging if, if that's the case. And um, it's you know it, it's 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 a tricky one. I think for Fulham, just don't want him to get injured, obviously. Um, and the same applies to to all of all of Fulham's players. But I think 
you know, and of course, you know, Marcus was pressed, do you want him to go? And he's like, well, that's that's completely irrelevant. And I think we know what his answer might have been as a, as a manager who relies on, on a player. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the, the backdrop to this injury has also been interesting because, you know, he obviously did it on international duty, then played for Serbia, then came back to Fulham, hasn't trained properly, has missed a few games, but also has played in games while taking painkillers. So it's not like Fulham haven't, you know, you tried to use him as well. Um, and now, obviously, he's, 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 there's that element of doubt about his, his fitness coming into the tournament. So it's not ideal preparation for him. Either way, he's there. There's a confidence he'll be available for Brazil. And I think the hope will be that they, just nothing silly happens, that nothing, that he, nothing damaging happens when, he, when he's there. And um, we'll, we'll just have to see, I suppose. But, I mean, he's such an important player for Serbia, as we detailed before. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, Let's see how he does. I, I, I mean, if they're fit, if both because Dusan Vlahovic has been carrying an injury as well, you know, Serbia have a really good team, especially in forward areas that will provide him with service. So, uh, I'm intrigued to see how they get on. Yeah, that Serbia Brazil match is uh, certainly one that I know a plethora of Fulham fans will have eyes on. Jack, out of the names that I've mentioned, uh, which ones are your kind of like ones to watch? Would you say from a Fulham perspective, that you're really interested to see how their tournament pans out? Um, well, Polinia won't start for Portugal, I don't think. Um, Fernando Sanchez is a very, very tried and trusted kind of manager, and I think he will go for William Carvalho and Ruben Neves in the in, in the pe- in the pivot. So, I, I'd be surprised if Polinia starts the first game, but I, I think he will get minutes, um, kind of coming on and seeing games out, and and they will look to do that. They will go one nil up and look to see games through. So I'd be interested to see how he fits in and if a couple of performances can kind of push him into the the first team picture for the latter stages of this tournament. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about Tim Ream going. It made me really happy. It was the That was the kind of one that lifts the spirits because he has earned his right to to get the call up for this World Cup. I think he has, he has put in the hours and this will definitely be his last major tournament. Although, again, saying that, who knows with Tim Ream, maybe he'll play season 45. He just seems to be getting better and better. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see if, if Ream gets the nod because obviously there's that element of injury within the US centre-back core. There's that understanding already with Anthony Robinson and there's the experience of playing at the top level on a regular basis. So it's going to be intriguing to see if Bahalta gives him gives him a go um i've been talking to quite a lot of people across the board and and wondering how it's going to work but there seems to be a general feeling that tim ream might well end up in the first team picture for the us i I wondered if he was just going as a kind of dressing room general but it does seem like that the us fans are a bit like no i think he might i think he might start you're like oh god this has changed so quickly from where we were a month ago um but yeah, no, look, and, and, and the Welsh boys as well, you will both get lots of minutes, I think, uh, across the course of these group stages and, you know, and, and possibly beyond. It's going to be really interesting to see how they pan out. But yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by, I think Peter's covered Serbia, but Serbia are going to be a load of fun. So, I mean, get let's get behind Serbia. But on the whole, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by kind of all of them, to be honest. Also, special shout out to Dennis Adoy. Who, yes. Uh, <laughs> who, also, I think, is... who also will start, I think. I think we'll start for Ghana, which really? is kind of mad. 
I mean, what what a story that is. Uh, I think, you know, uh, for every, every Ghana game that Fulham fans are watching, I think uh, we know who will be supporting. What a story that is. I, for one, can't wait. And I think it's a nice little welcome break. You know, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to Winter World Cup. November and December bar Christmas are usually pretty... Uh, pretty shite so um it's nice to have a little uh winter warmer to see us through just quickly jack so who are your uh who are your, who's your pick for the tournament uh, i'm gonna back argentina i think it's I think football owes messy one so i'm i'm in that <laughs> camp i'm every football romantic on earth i think is in this camp but i'm firmly behind argentina and Lionel messi are you um are you blinkered by the rose tinted glasses or do you actually have so no, are, you, are you hoping or do you think that, that you actually think they've got a chance or is yeah, this yeah, just yeah. what you want to happen? No, I think I think they're third favourites for a reason. They you know they have the longest un- international unbeaten run at the moment. They are very good under Lionel Scaloni. Um, they seem to be a much more cohesive unit than we've seen in a while. So yeah, I, I think they have a really good shot. Yeah, I was going to say Argentina. You know, you can't look further really than Brazil's quality as well. Um, when you look at their their strike force and the players they have, um, the way they've been playing. I think they, they they have the makings of being having an excellent tournament or having a shocker, if you know what I mean. Like everyone building them up and then it just all falling down like a house of cards. Um, but, I, you know, the thing about a World Cup is it doesn't tend to always be the best teams that win it. Does it? It's, you know, it's about being solid. It's about being consistent. It's about having those match winners in your team. So um, there's always a making for a surprise. So, yeah, I, I'd say Brazil, but as I say, it could go either way. Uh, after the break, we'll be answering your listener questions and then a very quick this will catch on. Don't go anywhere. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back to the Thursday Club. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm George Cooper. I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello, Coops. How you doing? I'm a good man. And Peter Rusler. Hello, hello. Excellent. So on Sunday... The Fulham women's team have a game against AFC Wimbledon that is being hosted at Craven Cottage. It's the first time in 20 years that uh, the Fulham women's team have played uh, under the lights of CC. And yeah, what an incredible occasion. I've heard that thousands of tickets have already been sold. Our man on the ground, Jack Kelly, is going to be there. We're going to be uh, covering the, the match on um, on the Fulhamish podcast. So do keep your eyes peeled for that. But Peter, just can you touch upon what a sort of moment this is for the uh, for the Fulham women's team? It's an important step, you know, um, since they were reformed in 2014, back in the day when they're under the foundation umbrella. Um, it, it seems to have been like a a slow walk back to to where we are now. And in the last three to four years, as as we've as we've discussed, they have made some good strides, some good important steps, coming fully back under the the Fulham umbrella. We talked about how this year that. Um, they've now added an under 18s team, and it, and it feels like this is the next the next step really uh, on the on their path to path of progress. Um, it's a really important occasion as well. I think I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One, in terms of uh, actually being able to get there, you know, it's easier to get to Craven Cottage. It means that more people can be exposed to the team, to see the team, um, and that and that's the next point as well about visibility um, and what it means to 
to see the Fulham women's team play at Craven Cottage and what that can do for participation, what it can do for, for female football fans, for young girls as well, looking to play the sport, knowing that one day I could, I too could play at Craven Cottage. You know, that really does have a, an important resonance. Um, and, and for the players, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a really terrific experience. You know, Steve Jay's been working there, the, the coach for, for a long time, first through the foundation and now full time with the women's team. And, you know, look at like Mary Southgate, a lifelong supporter, Edie, Edie Kelly, you know, trained with the foundation, you know, all these stories are, are, are really quite lovely. And it's, it's, it's good to see Fulham women now take the step in and, and play at, at the cottage. You know, there's, there's lots more still to do, you know, they're, they're working hard in the league. They're pushing to get out of uh, what is the fifth tier. Um, it's a tough league as, as we've detailed before, because they've got one promotion spot and, I think they play Millwall the week after, which is a which is a big game there at the top of the table. So, it's it's a really important step for the for the women's game. It's an important step for Fulham. You know, we've 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 discussed you know the legacy that Fulham have. You know that wonderful first professional women's team uh, in the Al Fayed era, the success they had. Um, so you know the the backdrop is there. There is a a platform, a, a history, a rich history to to build on and, and tap into. Um, so trying to reestablish that connection, that pathway, um, from a development perspective, for partition participation perspective, and then also for, for the club, it's important. Um, so it's good to see that it's good to see that there have been lots of tickets sold. Um, and it should be a really good occasion. You know, Wimbledon are a good team too. And, um, I think if you're going to go down, you'll be impressed with the way Steve J has the team playing. Um, they play a progressive style of football. You can see what they're trying to do on the ball. The way they want to work spaces, the way they want to try and create lots of chances, you know, it won't look too um, too different to, to what Marco Silva's team are doing too. So, um, a really important step uh, that you know is the next step really um, on their continued path to improve and 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 grow the team um, organically, which is the the way that I think the club want to do at the moment, rather than pile loads of money into it to climb up the leagues but I think at the same time it's it's important that these steps are taken and that they can keep moving forward it's absolutely fantastic and yeah we're really looking forward to covering it on Fulhamish on Monday's pod and yeah I remember the days my my little sister Polly used to play for the academy back in the early 2000s when when the Fulham women's team were you know the it, it was like the Rachel Yankee era it was a place just, to be a place to be a real a real scene and you know I, I think uh, you're right Peter in saying that it's the right thing to do to build it back up organically um, but you know it's it, it's an incredibly exciting time and you know what a momentous occasion great I look forward to it excellent we're going to move on to some of your listener questions now so I'm going to throw this one to you Jack it's a bit of a fun one to kick off hello Fulhamish gang I'm a newish listener and thanks very much for being my way back into all things Fulham over a period in the wilderness didn't get much Fulham in my life while living abroad for a few years a few points I'd love to hear other opinions on am I the only one who picks my international football teams through their similarities with Fulham I lived in Istanbul for a while so supported Besiktas black and white kit stadium next to the river and in Cairo I supported Zamalek white kit posh area of the capital city is this strange cheers Simon Jack do you sort of uh, see where where Simon's getting at yeah 100% um, it's not always been I've kind of always found it just kind of go to games and find where teams that draw you in and or whatever it is the atmosphere or the fan base etc etc so I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do this but I mean why not huh like that's the that's the way that 
the way that football works you're drawn to things that you love and that you have you have kind of respect and passion for and I think that's a a, a nice thing to to kind of have as a as a backdrop to it like it's not going to be for everyone obviously there are varying standards of where people find themselves on the can I support another team across the globe calendar but you know I, I found mine in terms of I like chaos, which is why I fell in, into <laughs> Betis, um, who managed to reach the Europa League semi-final and get relegated in the same year. And I was like, yeah, that seems... And I, I agree, maybe that seems quite full of me. It's just, it was like the kind of thing that we could do. Um, so, yeah, I suppose there is there is definitely an element of that. And and, and it's whatever, I suppose, makes you happy. And, and I think that finding things close to, to Fulham was... Is, is a good starting point. Look, when, here's, here's the story. When, when I was... In America, and I went, we were doing crossover podcasts with uh, NFL pods, and um, I didn't have an NFL team. And they were like, "Well, what would you what would you like? What kind of things do you like?" And I was like, "Look, real a rich history, a community club that you know have." Uh, and they were like, "What are your favorite colors?" And I was like, oh, "Well, black, white, and green." And they were like, "Cool, so you need to be a New Orleans Saints fan." I was like, "Yeah, fine." So I started reading about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was like, "Yeah, this seems like a really cool club." Um, and then I found out they were favorites to win the Super Bowl that year. And I was like, well, I can't support them. Like, there's absolutely <laughs> no way that I can do that. I was like, one of my things is misery. And they were like, oh, right. Okay. Well, you need to be a Jets fan. And that's where I, that's where I kind of developed that element of my life. But yeah, I, I completely can see where, where Simon's coming from here because it was exactly the kind of thing that I posted up when, when they were like, well, what are you looking for in, in a club? No, I get that. I get that. Peter, do you follow any foreign football teams and what were your reasons around picking? Yeah, picking well, uh, I do, but there's no like general uh, reason. No. Well, there are, there are reasons for them, but there's no connection. There's no like specific link. I mean, I, I, I said follow. I, bear, I barely get time to look at them. So following the loosest sense. But if you ask me the question, then I'll give you the answer. But Strasbourg are my team now in France purely because I think I've, well, I used to write about them for Get French Football News back in the day. Spain is Real Sociedad because I like the idea of San Sebastian from Ernest Hemingway's Fiesta, The Sun Also Rises. Um, <laughs> That's an excellent, um, excellent reason. <laughs> to, Torino in Italy because my, so my granddad has no interest in football really whatsoever. Yeah, inexplicably, he had this old book about the Torino team after the Superga disaster. Gran Torino. Uh, Granda Torino and uh, so I was like well I'll read that and well, that's sorted that, that, so they're my sort of Italian team I don't really know if I have a German one uh, yeah I don't know maybe it was probably St Pauli or something but everyone seems to pick St Pauli don't they because of the sort of piratical links and, and all other enjoyment and because they, look, they looked after us when we went to Hamburg for the Europa <laughs> League final they, they were the boys that took us in so I, I think everyone has a, a mild soft spot Don Betts maybe aside for St Pauli <laughs> So yeah, that's sort of, yeah, no rhyme or reason. You just sort of find your own and just go with it. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. I mean, I don't, it's, it's generally places that I've visited that I've, uh, that I've really kind of enjoyed. Like I don't mind Dynamo, Dynamo Zagreb. I sort of loosely follow their results, but not really to, I don't have any sort of connection. I don't Kevin try and link. starred on live score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get goal alerts. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Austin FC, I've now uh, taken a shining to mm. after um, Sammy and I visited Austin 
and uh, we watched uh, watched the game with uh, with the Austin Fulham fans, which was just a incredible. Uh, we watched the Leeds game; that was that was really good. We got gifted a scarf, and uh, they had a big um, cup um, playoff final win against their local rivals on that very day. So you know, that, I suppose that's a tenuous Fulham link, anyway. Good day at the, uh, good day at the office, though. Oh, very good. Yeah, very good indeed. Peter, this one's for you. This is hi. This is from Rune. Thanks for your fantastic follow-ups and support of our whites. Sometimes, however, you seem to hold back on criticism, good or bad, and the analysis seems too blind at times. One general observation, and in my book behind most of the silly goals behind Leno, is your adoration of team Tim Ream being the culprit. He obviously has a strong influence, big man, strong with good understanding on playmaking, but oh, so slow. So very slow in defence, tackle and blocking. But worse, his teammates in Silva allows him to dominate the team in tactics. Silva has not got the guts to remove him. Who is in control of the dressing room? Kindly, Rune. Peter, what's your take on this? Because um, I think, like, obviously going into the season, everyone had kind of written off Ream and uh, there was comparisons to Old Yeller that I think uh, Drew Drew made that it was inevitable that he wouldn't be featuring. And now he's kind of made himself arguably first name on the team sheet and a real stonewall of our defence. But do you think that Fulham are blinded by this kind of adoration of Ream and ultimately he's not best for the team? Or uh, can you see where Rune is coming from? What's your take? Um uh, Tim Ream's playing because he's been consistent and he's been consistently good. Uh, and Marco Silva likes what he brings to the team. I think that I think there are fair criticisms of him. Definitely, I mean, speed is an obvious one, but Fulham compensate for that by having Anthony Robinson next to him and generally a very quick other centre half. It, it depends how you build your teams. In the same way, Alexander Mitrovic is very slow, but Fulham don't play him in the team for that. So, you know, it's, it's even you can refer back to what Greg Berhardt was saying about not calling up Ream. You know, that was his logic was because we want to play with a high lining in the qualification. Fine, that kind of makes sense. You may disagree with it, but there's a there's a logic to that. Um, is he sort of hidden from criticism? M- maybe. I-, I wouldn't... I mean, he's been, he hasn't done anything particularly horrendous this season. I think he's performing, as I said, he's been performing very well, far better than anyone, I think, expected. Um, he's in a team that suits him, that suits his style of play, which really does help. Um I think sometimes, you know, you, you, Reem will get more praise than maybe his, his centre-half partner does um, because you naturally would gravitate to Reem because of his you know, connection to, to the club. But I, I don't think there's anything majorly in that. Um, and then, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Marcus, I think Marcus Silva plays Tim Reem because he thinks he's playing very well and he suits his system, as I said. So, uh, yeah. That's where also, I, I, I think he's quite crucial to the way that Fulham build out from the back. Now, whether, yeah, you like that, whether you like that strategy or not is a different question, and that's fine. You, everyone can have their own opinions on whether that's the best way for Fulham to play or not. But equally, that's how Marcus Silva is trying to play. And he likes Tim Ream's ability to control the ball in our own third and to look for the maybe not obvious pass. Now, there are times where that isn't the right route. There are times where that puts us on the back foot. There are times where Tim Ree makes mistakes. But on the whole, I think that the way that Fulham build out, the way that we control possession and can knock it around the back to try and force holes in opposition back lines does work and has worked for the majority of this season. And, and I agree with Peter. You know, there are fair criticisms to be made of Tim Ream. But I think that there's a reason that Marco Silva keeps picking him. And it's not because... He's scared of him. I, let, let's put it that this way. I don't think Marcus <laughs> Silva is, is scared of much. Uh, I, I think he's he's willing to make bold calls. He's willing to make bold decisions about who's going in the side. We've seen that 
with our right back fiasco um, and the fact that he was like, no, Kevin Mbappé came in in the summer, someone that you know he wanted to bring in, doesn't feel like he's up to the level at the moment. He's been playing Bobby Reed at right back. That that you know, this is how Silver works. He, he operates with who he thinks is going to win him a game best, and right now that includes Tim Ream. Now, might not forever. Um, but while it's good, I think that he deserves all the criticism. Uh, sorry, he deserves all the praise that he's getting because he has turned it around from what the expectations were of a lot of people. And he, he's made himself a, a stalwart of that side. And therefore, I think the crowd responds to that. The fact that he's willing to put his body on the line, that he you know works like a soldier every single game. All of that is something that the crowd appreciates, I think. And, and you see that love reciprocated from Tim Reed. He's been brilliant. He really has. Anyway, Jack, this one's for you. Hi to all at Fulhamish. Long-time listener and part-time Breda Hangland enthusiast. How can you be a part-time Breda Hangland enthusiast? It would be like in the, in the evenings, like surely you got to go. Maybe you got to like do it when you're not doing the nine to five. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm a uh, quantity surveyor for my day job, but I, I work part-time as a Breda Hangland enthusiast. It's recently been discussed on the pod that Fulham may not be able to hold on to our dearly beloved Huawei P beyond this season due to his obvious quality. However, the likes of Wolves have managed to keep their Portuguese talisman. So why can't we retain our Portuguese octopus past the 22-23 season? Uh, that's the first time I've heard to be referred to as the Portuguese octopus. But it's I, also uh, not the first player that would be referred to as such. That was Danilo Pereira's nickname when he was at Porto. <laughs> he was known as the octopus. Fantastic. I think even if a top six side came a knock in, we have him on a five plus one year deal. So in theory, Mr. Khan holds all the cards. Although he's obviously played in white 14 times, I can't imagine life without him. I'm not ready to lose this generation's Moussa Dembele. Warm regards, Travis. I mean, Jack, like putting your realistic how? football, yeah, impartial, non-romantic hat on, how long do you think Fulham can realistically expect to keep hold of Wowley P? Well, I, I think that when, you, when you're talking about Polinia, you're looking at someone who's clearly bought into the cause, right? Who's clearly bought into what the club stands for. He likes it. He's up in the fans. He's enjoying himself. He um, takes uh, Fulham club shop bags to him to the Portuguese camp at the World Cup. Precisely, Did you see that? right? Exactly. This is <laughs> also, I want to know, why has he got that bag? Surely he gets obviously all the get, Obviously, someone's just given it to him. He's like, I need something to carry this stuff and go straight to the airport after this game. He's like, here you go, here's a bag. Um, I like the idea that he's spending money in the club shop shop as well yeah he's gone to buy a bobblehead and a joe <laughs> bryan cushion <laughs> um but yeah i look I, I don't think it's a given that Polinia walks this summer i think that fulham can stand you know this is the thing with that kind of contract you can stand firm for an offer and it's what wolves did with ruben nebs right it's not impossible to think that you go right this is what the price tag is if you if you want him you're gonna have to come and pay 80 million for him because we're not selling for any less. Now, obviously, part of this is to do with where clubs are. Wolves got promoted and obviously went straight into the Europa League. And so, therefore, you know, you're looking at a player going, look, you're already playing European football. You're back on, you know, on the scene in that regard. You've made that made that jump. And I think if you got that, then then I think the, the chances of him staying increase. I mean, somewhat obviously, but you know what I'm getting at. So... It depends how Fulham get on this season because if we get dragged into a relegation scrap and uh, and work our way through it, and even if we survive, he might be like, "Well, I I need to move on." And you know, he's come from a Champions League club, and he he's trying to work his way up to the the top level of football. I think now, I think he's a player that's naturally suited to the Premier League, um, and and that works in his favour and it works in our favour too. 
but there will be greedy hands kind of rumbling. There aren't all that many brilliant number sixes in world football. And I think he set his stall out as one of those quite obviously. So you're looking at it and going, can we keep hold of him? Yes, yeah, definitely a possibility. But if, you know, after a season, one of the big guns comes calling and they go, well, you know, how, how does this pan out? How does this, how does this work? And he goes, look, I want to go. I think, you know, Dortmund have made a, a real thing of this, right? They've become what's known as a stepping stone club in inverted commas. And it means that you can attract players in because you, they've kind of made that promise that when one of the elite clubs comes calling, they will let that player move for the right fee. Um, but as so not to kind of stagnate their career. And I think that if Fulham are trying to set our stall out as one of those, and I don't know if that's the plan. I don't know if what what the kind of long-term ambition is in that regard. But if the plan is to develop a pipeline through which Fulham can bring players in, allow them to improve, and then back it up by moving them on and, and bringing in the next generation and making the club sustainable in that regard, then that's not a bad place to be. But you know, obviously, I don't want to lose Polinia either. You know, I think he's absolutely exceptional. I think you know, I said it at the game, but one of the finest players I think I've already I've ever seen wear the shirt. We've seen him through a third of a season he's exceptional absolutely exceptional and I think the Fulham need to kick on make sure that this season ends as well as it's begun and if Fulham are in the top half of the table challenging for you know maybe that seventh spot or or just off it then there's every reason to believe that the Fulham can you know make a case that we're on the up we're building something and and therefore he should stick around and be part of the project and be a key part of the project but there's always going to be competition for a player, especially in this position where the supply at the very top level is limited. He's going to go to Tottenham, isn't he? Like all of our, like all of our. I don't think so. I I hope not. I feel like just as Fulham fans, we've been bitten so many times. We've, 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 we never learn. We've never learned not to get too attached to these, to these players, to these talents that come through our, uh, our ranks. But yeah, I guess only time will tell. But I think that you, lay a very good argument there Jack and I love the Dortmund comparison if uh, if Fulham can establish ourselves as the kind of the sluice to Premier League experience for these uh, for these players then it, you know it, only, only the good can come of it it does it does feel like the market sort of changed a little bit though when we talk about the the Premier League you know he's it's financially on a different level now and of course there is that Champions League the elite competition as Jack said he inexplicably isn't starting for Portugal so he'll want to make sure that he can do that, and to do that, you, you want to be playing on the, on the best stages. Um, but it's not easy. It's not necessarily a, easy to prize someone like Palinia out of a stable Premier League club. Um, so a lot of that comes down to where Fulham are. You know, Fulham were you know cut adrift or really struggling. Then you know he will look. You would look at that as a player objectively for your career and think, I want to be pushing up the table. And um, but Fulham are in that situation. It comes back to what I was saying earlier. The fact that you're in ninth really helps. And if you can build on that platform again, um, then maybe that changes the outlook for a, for a player like Pelinha because it's not necessarily obvious that someone could come in for him. I mean, we're looking at the very top level, really. And at, at that stage, you'll, you don't begrudge them if City came in for him. You know, I don't think they would. But it, it's that's what you're looking at. Um, but And also, the pool feels smaller. I spoke to him after the game um, on, on Sunday and you know, he talked about, you know, watching the Premier League when he was younger and how it's so suited to 
to him, and he is literally tailor made for the Premier League, isn't he? Especially with what so was Zach Lowe called him the most the most Sunday League player that the Premier League's ever seen, like actually, <laughs> and not in terms of quality. Before anyone takes that as an insult, <laughs> just in terms of the way he flies into challenges, he might be the best ball recoverer at the moment in the Premier League. It mm. is very, very impressive, and it's so enjoyable to watch, isn't it? It's just so satisfying watching the rain thundering down and watching him thundering into challenges was genuinely a delight. Yeah, it's, it's 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 great to see. But again, like so, you, if you're him, you you realise where you're good and where you look good, and that's in the Premier League. So again, it's a smaller pool once more. So, um, yeah, there's no, it's not given. Fulham in a really good position either way. Like if yeah. someone really, really wanted him, they're going to have to pay a lot of money, and that's that's ideal, really. Yeah, I mean, this, you've got to keep reminding yourself that as a Fulham fan, where you know we've got all the cards, we're in a very strong position, as you said. Only good can come. Unless the team get relegated, you know, unless, <laughs> you know, it changes a little bit then. Um, that's not worth thinking about Peter it's not worth thinking about yeah, we don't talk oh. that into existence let's, let's move on <laughs> yeah. right this will catch on this is everyone's favourite part of the Thursday club we've got two here this one is from Tyler cheers from the States boys I was bummed uh, not to be able to make the short trip down to Austin from Waco to see Sammy and George but family plans got in the way I've been sitting on this all season once it was clear our Ivorian king would no longer be bossing the middle of the park in black and white. There is obviously no rule against singing for a player no longer at Craven Cottage, but wanted to offer this as a replacement to the We've Got Siri chant in honour of our Jamaican Swiss Army knife. Thanks, Tyler. So uh, this is Tyler's chant for Bobby Decadover Reed. Let's have a listen. We've got Bobby. Dad Cordova Reed, I just don't think you understand. He'll play the 10, the wing, the 8. He's Joe Bryan's best mate. We've got Dad Cordova Reed. <laughs> Thought yeah. something about that one. Big fan of he's Joe Bryan's best mate. That's a great line. Well done. Well done, Tyler. Why that a lot. Well, I wanted to I wanted to hear what you thought of the uh the the, the, the syllable police um Jack uh, I want it's it's when he squeezes in the 10 the wing the 8 do you think it just about works? have a yeah. one, let's have a quick listen We've got Bobby that could overread I just don't think you understand he'll play the 10 the wing the 8 he's Joe Bryan's best mate we've got that could overread you could just go with, I think you could just go with plays Plays the 10, the wing, the 8 works, right? Yeah, we can just get rid of Heath. Peter, what are your thoughts, just quickly? Started well, and then, yeah, syllable issues. But, you know. (laughs) We can work around them. We can work around them. I just think you have to retire that song for at least one season before before you bring it back. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, out of ten, Jack, uh, I give it a very solid seven. I think it has it has legs. Has legs. There we go. Very good. We've got one more. This is from James Wilson. There's no uh, audio file for this. He's just given me a um, what can only be described as a hymn sheet. But this is to the tune of "Piano Man" by Billy Joel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's already started well. Yeah, he's really um, throwing, throwing me under the bus here, having to uh, to, to yeah. read this one out. I'm musically inclined, but not at all musically talented. Maybe we could get the guy from Austin, Justin from Austin, to actually sing this. I'll get in touch with Justin because I would love to hear him uh, to sing this. He goes, uh, if not, George will have to do. So, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go. So um, we're familiar with uh, Piano Man by Billy Joel. Yes. I can actually play this um, play this tune. Um, so on, I get might... the piano out. I have a harmonica, mate. Do <laughs> <laughs> we give it a go? I'll get the tin whistle. You get the okay. harmonica. <laughs> All right, wait, okay, I'll go. Let me just tune up. 
He knew this was coming, didn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he went to go it's like, sitting on his desk. It's like, it's, like, it's like that scene in the office where he's like, go, go get the guitar. Three o'clock on a Saturday, the Hammersmith end shuffles in. The Riverside, Putney and Johnny Haynes stands have all come just to see him. He comes out with the boys from the cottage, the best midfielder on earth. He's warming up right there on the pitch, wearing his number sixth shirt. We sing, score us a goal, Mr. Harrison. Score us a goal tonight. <laughs> We're all in the mood for the victory and to make Chelsea look shite. Very good. Uh, very good. Very good. Very good. Yeah, let's there say, go. yeah, let's get someone recording that. That's that's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's never catching on, but it's going to be that. Could, that could be a cult classic. If that's been recorded, we had a cult classic on our hands. I think there's a second verse. Oh, good. Oh, now Brentford and QPR have never had a player that's as good as Reed, and they'll never get the best of our ginger Iniesta. There's just no place that he'd rather be. La, da, 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 da. Yeah, nice. So then the chorus, we sing... Internal sing, rhymes, good stuff. There we go. We <laughs> sing, score us a goal, Mr. Harrison. Score us a goal tonight. Yeah, we're all in the mood for a victory and to make Chelsea look shite. I think that chorus could genuinely catch on. Yeah. Although, I, Mr. Harrison, <laughs> we just have to retire it when when Leeds come to town and Jack Harrison pops in. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, from James Wilson. So our request is record it, mate. Get all or if any other listeners, if anyone are, else um, wants that, yeah, let 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 James know. It's an open goal. It's an open goal. Yeah, there you go. Cool. You can form a sort of like Elton John, Bernie Tarpon relationship, lyricist. On that note, that is it for today's Thursday Club. Thank you very much, Peter Rutzler, for joining me. All right, thank you for having me, George. That's all right. And Jack Collins, as always. always. That was always a pleasure, Coops. Thank you very much for having me. As I said earlier, there's lots of Fulhamish content uh, on its way over the course of the World Cup. And uh, yeah, until next time, catch you in a bit. You whites. You whites.